the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith. And we're back here on 930 AM, The Answer with On the Record with Tiffany and Kevin. And, and we Kevin. have a special guest, Dr. Lashara Davis. She is a health communications researcher, and she's doing some prolific work on pair donation and transplantation. Health communicator. That is a big title, PhD in that. Tell us more. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So when I think about what I do and why I was drawn to what I what I do, it really stemmed in knowing as a young child that I wanted to help people. I had my uh, foray in different types of therapy. I thought I was going to be a psychologist. I went into my freshman year in college and took nine credits and said, uh-uh, that's not it. <laughs> and quickly determined that I was not going to be a psychologist. It was all it was also around the time that the movie The Sixth Sense came out, where, mm-hmm. you know, the patient came back and killed the psychologist, and you find that out at the end. And I said, Oh no, that is not the life for me. <laughs> so um quickly determined that that was not going to be it. But I tried out speech therapy. I tried out. And when I say try out, I did internships or externships, kind of shadowing different people in these different areas um, to figure out what I wanted to do. And it was my sophomore year in college that I stumbled into communication. But at that point, I still didn't know that I wanted to study health in communication. I just thought, oh, I really do like exploring why people communicate in the way they do, how messages get sent um, through different channels, you know, even the interpersonal communication aspect of things. And so that's what I thought I was going to do. But um, my senior year, I got connected with uh, one of my professors and she was doing uh, a research project on donation, deceased donation specifically, um, and trying to get the word out through campaigns. It was called the New Jersey Workplace for Life campaign. And through that campaign, she was trying to get the word out um, to different organizations, small, medium, and large, to kind of um, bust myths and misconceptions about donation. You know, oftentimes we hear, oh, people from my culture don't donate. And so we would provide facts, um, you know, sanctioned information from, not sanctioned, but, you know, uh, formal reports from the leadership of different organizations or the leadership of different religious groups to kind of support um, or to kind of uh, reframe or or give the accurate perspective in terms of their actual uh, feelings about organ donation. So that was really my start in this area. And I said, wow, this is pretty cool. I get to incorporate communication, Mm -hmm. but also that desire to help. So I knew very on I wanted to help, but I didn't know it would be through communication. And that was back in 2004 when I had my first introduction to health communication as a field, and I've been rocking with it ever since. So. Wow. So how did you decide, what have you found and seen over this time mm-hmm. with, uh, with transplantation for, for uh, people in general? Well, I think there's a lot of, um, still mystery around it for for many communities, you know, whether or not um, it's someone who is trying to determine whether or not they want to be a donor in the case of living donation. Um, But also from the deceased donor perspective, uh, people still have that fear about what's going to happen if they sign up to be a donor on their on their on their license. You know, when we look at uh, some of the media, media has been uh, reinforcing some of these myths about what happens. I remember there was a, an, an episode years and years and years ago, I was in graduate school um, and I believe it was ER and they're rolling a patient into the um, into the hospital and the doctor says, oh, well, they'll be dead by the time, you know, we get there to kind of like in, insinuate that they're just going to start, they're going to start 
operate on this person and take their organs before they were they were officially declared deceased. Oh, and so I remember that. that. <laughs> yeah. And when you see that, when you see that stuff, you know, that's the stuff that sticks. Right. It's it's entertainment. It's meant to stick in a particular way um, because they want it, it. Entertainment sells. Right. And unfortunately, and that sticks with people. And yeah, they it sticks with people. That that's what's really going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you think about organ donation and transplant as a whole, it's not something that we go in on our annual visit to our providers and say, hey, so I want to talk about what happens when I die, you know, because yeah. we don't want to think about death. We want to we don't want to think about, you know, the end of our lives, let alone the end of someone else's life. And so it's not something that comes up in regular conversation. And so I love, you know, the work that's been done over the years to try to make this part of, you know, conversation, not necessarily something that you talk uh, around the family dinner table about, but, you know, people being more open about their their ideas and their thoughts. I remember even even within my own family, um, when I shared with when I first started in this area, I was a wee lass. I was maybe 18, 19. Um, I'm, I'm aging myself at that point by saying that. <laughs> but I was maybe 18, 19 when I first started in this area. And I remember bringing home um, my license to my mom and saying, Mom, guess what? I just signed up to be an organ donor. She's like, oh, no, I would never. <laughs> and so I even had to do education within my own family about you know what that process was and i've seen them shift over the years knowing that i'm in this field knowing that i'm in this area but it was because i had become educated about it, it was because i had learned more about it that i was mm-hmm. able to be that liaison if you will um for my family to provide them with you know more information about it because like i said it's not something that we talk about it's not like you know we talk about um you know, we have um, certain health issues in our communities or certain health issues in our family. And we talk about that. But even mm-hmm. I say sometimes in the black community, we don't even talk about those things. Um, I was doing some research recently and I and I heard um, and this stuck with me and I was, you know, talking about well, why don't we talk more about, you know, diabetes and hypertension mm-hmm. and some of the things that lead to kidney disease. And one of the respondents in this group said, we are proud private black folk. And that's the message that that stuck with me. And I wrote it in big letters, big, bold letters in my notebook because I had I had known the private part. And I, you know, because I experienced that in my own family, but that proud I really hadn't considered as a dynamic that's impacting how we're sharing, what we're sharing and vice versa, what we're not sharing um, within our own families. Because I think it's also conversations in our families about the earlier stages that can help with the later stages in terms of conversations mm-hmm. about what there is to do with regard to our health, when we need treatment, when we need um, to seek out help in, in any area. Um, and so I think that I'm, I'm gonna get off that. I, I, could, I could talk about that for, for forever. That's, how, that's, <laughs> kind of how, that's kind of how my research is, kind, is starting to lead, um, really well, looking at those, at those well, areas. Your research you know. should be leading towards that because yeah. The proud part is is probably the crux of what is going mm-hmm. on because mm-hmm. in our community, and we see that, at, you know, working with uh, with with our folks is that you know because people when we're dealing with doctors, they say certain phrases that we find deeply offensive. One of them is. Uh, uh, referring to the work that we do as indigenous workers, referring to right. people that <laughs> indigenous workers because, uh, and they'll say things like, um, well, it's really difficult to do good research in those communities. Mm. And we, we've heard that through the, the research world. Um, but uh, but that, that proud piece, mm-hmm. There's a lot of stigma that goes along with with having diabetes, hypertension, with Absolutely. having something that that people think, I sh- well, I, you know, I'm doing something wrong. But, so if and, I'm and doing also, wrong, I, I'm, I'm going to be ashamed of me doing something wrong. Here. Yeah. And also, I've seen in, in in some of the the communities that I've been, you know, engaging with, I've seen that it's 
almost expected in some of these in some people's families like oh well you know my mom my grandma my my uncle all these people had a particular yeah all of these people had a particular this particular disease so i'm expecting that i'm going to get it at some point but you also have that fatalism with a lot of the doctors that serve the community as well absolutely right it's because that's one of the things uh we have a, we have a lot of nephrologist friends who like us, some who don't. But that's okay. <laughs> uh, is that often the thing that they're trying to fight is doctors taking on that? Oh, it's going to happen. You know, right. they belong to that group. That's what's going to happen. Right. Yeah, and it's simply not. So, real quick, so go back. So, because I because I, I, the thing that when I first started on the Dallas, not on the transplantation, the yeah. dichotomy between it, we have deceased transplantation yes. but then that's where you sign on the back of your driver's license right yes. but then we also have living transplantation so yes. talk a little bit about that and so, sometimes how people get the two uh yeah deceased versus living donor and how people get those two things confused absolutely so so there's deceased do- donor transplant and that's when someone passes away you have to elect in the united states at least you have to elect to be a, a deceased donor and this mm-hmm. is something you can either sign um, a donor card some people register at the uh, at a driver's license bureau you can you can register mm-hmm. there and sometimes you can even put the the little heart some i think depending on the state there's like a heart that you can mm-hmm. put on your card to say that you're you're willing to be an, an organ donor and these are people who pass away in such a way that they are able to be a donor. This does not guarantee that you're going to be a donor, that you pass away and automatically you're going to be a donor. You have to be, you have to pass away such that you're, um, you're healthy enough, even healthy, and I use air quotes there, but you're, you pass away in such a way that you can still, your organs are still viable enough to help someone else. So these are often um, younger people, uh, sudden deaths often um, can, can fit into this category. Um, uh, Part of the reason why I've had, I've had people say, oh, don't get on a motorcycle because there's a lot of fear associated with, you know, then you'll just automatically be an organ donor. And I don't want to, I don't want to further perpetuate any myths there, but you know, people who who um, who may participate in risky behavior sometimes they they are um, often seen as as uh, deceased donors or often end up being deceased donors. And um, but the the reality is only about ten percent of people who pass away are eligible to be a donor. So even if you sign up to be a donor on your card, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a deceased donor. It just means that if in the event that you are eligible, you can. That mm-hmm. you know that in all likelihood you will not be a deceased donor. Absolutely. Only ten percent, right? Yeah. But this is this is you know saying that in the event that I do pass away in such a way, I want to be able to help others. You know yeah. when I pass yeah. away. Well, talk about the living donor as well. So that's deceased. And then uh, what is a living donor? Talk about that. A living donor is someone who's a healthy person um, who decides that they want to help someone um, by donating um, either a, a full organ or a piece of their organ. There's some organs that um, we can take portions of. For instance, kidney, it's the whole, it would be the whole organ, but livers regenerate. And so you can take a lobe of the liver um, and do um, a transplantation with a lobe of the liver um, to, to help others sustain their life. The living donor has to be healthy. And by that, I mean from a mental uh, emotional, psychological, physical perspective, they undergo, uh, and I quote from, from an actual living donor, they said they had the best physical they have had in their entire life because the with being a living donor, the uh, system, the hospital system that performs the surgery or does the evaluation, they have to go through a formal evaluation. I'll use the right terminology there. So living donors all have to go through a formal evaluation that includes that that mental, emotional, psychological, and uh, physical evaluation. And these are medical tests. So they get their kidney function tests. They, they run all kinds of um, analyses of their systems to make sure that they're healthy because they would not want to put anyone who is giving of their heart, not literally, but so being such a giving person to donate um, on someone else's behalf at any additional risk. So they are 
they actually turn away more living donors than they accept because they're trying to be so careful and not put anyone at additional risk. But these are people who are just generous and want to help someone else. There are, and even within living donor transplant, there are different types of living donors. There are the directed donors. And this is say my mom needed a transplant and I know her and I decided that to donate directly to her. There are also altruistic donors. And these are people who just out of the kindness of their heart say, you know what, if someone is out there and they need a transplant, I'm willing and I'm able, and I just want to be able to help someone. And I don't care who it is. I just want to help. And so there are those types of donors as well. Um, but, you know, regardless of the type, regardless of whether it's directed or non-directed altruistic, um, there's always that rigorous evaluation to make sure that they're healthy because this is this is a surgery it's a major surgery it's an elective surgery and so they don't want to have anyone um be put at additional harm or any at any additional risk than is than is required um just due to the due to the surgery all right i like that and you've been listening to on the record with kevin and tiffany on 9 30 a.m home of conservative talk radio and the most awesome guests we have. We are doing a special campaign at Texas Kidney Foundation to get your kidneys checked. It is called Silent But Deadly because kidney disease is a silent but deadly killer. And we need you to go to our website, silentbutdeadly.org, take a 12-question test, and we will send you a kit to your house. Get your kidneys checked at silentbutdeadly.org. And welcome back to On the Record with Tiffany and Kevin on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, home of conservative talk radio, proud American descendants of the formerly enslaved. How's about that, Tiffany? We're talking about hair donation and transplantation Mm -hmm. with the wonderful Dr. Lashara Davis. All right. Um, so earlier we discussed pride. Mm-hmm. I'm a proud, we're proud black folk. With diabetes. Proud and private. Proud and private. private. <laughs> and uh, let's talk about that because, absolutely, you know, that coupled with, you know, how the system actually is that we don't diagnose kidney disease until stage three. Once you've been at stage three for three months, and often the disease is detected in stages one and two, and and not and patients are not informed. We know that that is that is a, a matter that has to be addressed. But when we get to the back end of this, mm-hmm. and we're talking about so many comorbidities that lead to kidney disease, diabetes, hypertension. Uh, obesity, cardiovascular disease, pride, as the Bible says, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not something that you want to, <laughs> pride goes before the fall, you know, <laughs> really. but that's what we, that's what, what you're seeing in your research. So how are you, what did that make you think? Man, I, I just, at first, I, w- I would say I was taken aback. You know, I was I've been hearing the the private for many, many years. I've been I've been trying to to understand um, how the, the black community is engaging with transplant donation, kidney disease as a whole for, for several years. Goodness, for for many years, over a decade. And um, I had never really heard the proud piece. And when I heard the proud piece, I had to take I had to take a step back and say, OK, well, what's going on here? What's really motivating that or what's really stopping people from sharing because in that pride we aren't sharing about the things that are going on individually amongst our family which could help other people coming behind us mm-hmm. to be better prepared or aware of things that they need to be on the lookout for now granted in some cases there may be um family things that are embedded in our families 
um, habits, traditions that get passed down. And that's why we may think that some diseases are genetic, but they may not be. They may just be embedded in terms of our practices and behaviors Mm -hmm. and beliefs and that kind of thing. And so some of those may be modifiable, but there are also some things that are genetic, um, some genetic causes to kidney disease. And if we're not talking about it, we're suffering, we're literally suffering in silence. And we already know that kidney disease is a silent killer. Um, Mm -hmm. It's it's just silence across the board. We're not talking Mm -hmm. about it. And then it, it lingers silently. And then we don't get diagnosed officially until it's really, really bad, until we really, really feel bad. I've had patients say to me, you know, I just I just thought I felt tired and then I got a transplant and man, I was really bad. And then they acknowledge it when they start to feel better. They finally acknowledge how bad it was. But, you know, in talking to black men, I, that's where I saw the pride initially. And I thought, oh, I said, that's just, you know, a black male thing. I just thought, like, you know, trying to be, you know, um proud, trying to be the, you know, strong, like strong black black man. That's what I thought. That's what I thought it was. But to hear the private proud black folk came from a black woman. Mm -hmm. And so to hear it come from another side, that really made me start to think, well, I need to dig a little bit deeper into, you know, what's kind of driving that. But I think uh, I just think back to when I was a kid, it was, you know, children are to be, you know, seen and not heard. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, this is grown folks business. You know, there were things that we just didn't talk about. I still don't know why my great, you know, grandmother passed away. And it could be something that we're dealing with now because we don't have these conversations. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just so important, I think, that, you know, we don't have to suffer alone. We don't have to suffer out that Mm -hmm. full stop. We don't have to suffer um, if we are, if we're more open to talking about what's going on with us, we can get help sooner. Um, we don't have to wait until we get to stage four of kidney disease, where we we direly start to need, you know, transplant or or dialysis or something along those lines. We don't have to wait that long. Um, and I and I just I I'm it is my it is my desire. Um, and I'm gonna get off my soapbox in a minute. Keep going. It is my desire. It is my desire that we start having these conversations. Like if I could get on a foghorn and, and go to different communities and just share with people, like like our silence is killing us. Yeah. Um, our silence is really killing us. You know, one of the things that we always, yeah, one of the things I always say, you know, uh, when we go out in the field and we're talking with people, I always say, hey, if I told you my blood pressure was, and I pull some random numbers, was 155 over 145, you know, how many, see right there, right? How many people would know, hey, dude, you're about to check out of this planet if you don't go get that situation taken care of? Because we've been told, you know, we have enough knowledge about blood pressure, the majority of us do, that we know that's a bad situation. Or if I said, you know, uh, my blood sugar was, you know, 450. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that, that was my let's say it was my, my blood sugar is 450. Everybody's like, oh, my God, dude, you got a, your blood pressure is super high. You have a, this unbelievable uh, right. uh, blood sugar. How are you still alive? Right. But that we know what those numbers approximately what those numbers mean and how and that we're I could possibly be in trouble. We may not we may not know all the details, mm-hmm. but we know enough to say, dude, you gotta get to a physician quick. Right. 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 You're gonna have problems. And so that's one of the things that are that that we emphasize with know your numbers, right? Know what EGFR is, right? Yes. That's how well your 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 kidneys are functioning and cleaning your blood. Know what a UACR is, right? That's how well your as if your kidneys have any damage. If there's any mm-hmm. albuminuria, I said it right this time, Tiffany, aka <laughs> protein spilling into your urine. Mm-hmm. And those are two numbers that we, we've been really emphasizing with everyone. It's not just enough to get screened, but to know what they mean. Go ahead, right. Tiffany, I'm sorry. And we've also been educating people because part of, of doing this is you have to educate the leadership. Mm-hmm. So there is a genetic link to African-Americans. It's called APOL1. Mm-hmm. And uh, for for me, like my personal story on this is that is is the very same thing. You know, we have uh, relatives in my family, and if you could see my office on the back wall, I keep a list of, of everybody that, well, it's not everybody mm-hmm. now, but but of, of people that have passed from a AP from uh, kidney disease in my family because that was what prompted me to look 
and see mm -hmm. if there was something genetic going on. Yeah. And there it is. Yeah. But and even in my family, nobody wanted to talk about mm -hmm. that it could be genetic. Mm -hmm. When we just buried my cousin, not this past Saturday, but the Saturday before that. I'm sorry. Uh, and um, thank you. And she had nine strokes, 50 years old, and there, it was from diabetes. Mm -hmm. She had diabetes. Her diabetes was out of control. And so uh, while we were at this funeral, I started talking to family members about APOL1 uh, because people were in from all over. So we had people come, that came in from Louisiana, probably about 200 of us, which is a small gathering of the Joneses. But <laughs> there's a lot of us. But, um, and when I started talking to them about it, people were like, I think that's my, I think my dad mm. may have had that, mm -hmm. you know, but they were reluctant for me to tell everybody on the microphone about that. Mm. They were like, well, people are going to be, you know, that it's genetic. It means that we, oh. what if it's something wrong? I married the wrong person. Right. So well, first of all, that's, that, that framing mm -hmm. of this is the wrong framing. Because mm -hmm. it has nothing to do. You you cannot do something wrong in this situation. But That's here's the situation, though, Tiffany. When people hear genetic, they think inevitability. But no, genetic right. just means you have All the potential, and if your environment it keeps keeps putting you at risk, right? So right. when I hear, oh, I genetically have, am, am predisposition for a particular thing, right? Which means if I continue with a lifestyle and a behavior, is more likely to uh, to activate in my body than mm -hmm. if uh, if than anything else, right? Because we know that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And with APOL one, most people is it, it's not something that awakens in everyone, mm -hmm. right? Most people who have those genetic alleles, it's not going to awaken you. What you have to be conscious of and aware of is that if two people get together with the alleles, then your potential for the disease awakening arise, uh, rises exponentially. We are doing a special campaign at Texas Kidney Foundation to get your kidneys checked. It is called Silent But Deadly because kidney disease is a silent but deadly killer. And we need you to go to our website, silentbutdeadly.org, take a 12-question test, and we will send you a kit to your house. Get your kidneys checked at silentbutdeadly.org. That's where you can be proactive, Right. That's where you can go, okay, uh, you know, I I adore you and I want to marry you, but I need you to take this cheese swap. Oh, come on. Uh, right. You're going to see it for cousins. That's what you got to see. People, oh, yeah. You're going to get a lot of feedback from that one, Tiffany. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, you'd want to you know that beforehand. Uh, look, this is for the we're on the radio, right? We're not at the house. There's a lot of reasons that you would want to to know that you need to be proactive and talk about what's going on with us disease wise. Yeah, that that's you can eat right, eat better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, a, ten, a, a five to ten percent change in your BMI, but. Boom. But also, Tiffany, right, this is America, right? And and some of us, I have jelly beans, you know, I'm a jelly bean addict and I'm, I keep them out of the house, right? But we are, and I believe in American exceptionalism. I always say this on the channel is that we are innovative. We have medications. We have the idea that you can take somebody's organ, be they alive or deceased. We have put, Dr. Davis's studying and, and learning what uh -huh. to say, what's right, how we have behavioral therapists studying. Our so we, but so it's a matter of, for most of us, one, I'm for the eat, eating right. And then yes. I, I'm for that. Right. Cause I put on a few pounds and Tiffany's called me out publicly trying to I challenge me on the weight loss. I called you both out publicly. Okay. 
but we have medications. We have we have SGLT2 inhibitors, which everyone on this station is hearing me talk about. It's like the iPhone has landed, and most people are unaware about unaware of it, right? And so we have that. We have uh, we have living donations, right? Even with uh, even under the strict guidelines of to be a donor, right? That's benefiting people. And I'd give a kidney for you, babe. I love you that much. Uh, <laughs> you know, I got some relatives I wouldn't give one for. I, w- I got some relatives I'd be like, and you got to figure this thing out. But we have the technology that's available. It's just a matter of communicating it. We know about eating. We know about transplantation. It's just informing people. And that's why I think that proud, private, you know, in this case, black woman, right? That is deadly. Yeah. Because we always say it's a deadly thing. And we always say on this radio station, right? People who listen to us are conservative people, right? Is that the way you, the the, the way black people in America are treated is how Mm -hmm. everybody else is going to be treated. So just like they're withhold, just like I say they, I sound conspiracious, just like we are uninformed oftentimes and don't have the education, there are other groups as well. So that is the push, right? Is that. Is, right. is that we're trying to do that. So I went to a, a, a meeting a couple of nights ago here in, uh, in San Antonio, and it was uh, hosted by uh, a local philanthropist, and, and uh, they brought a bunch of health uh, innovators together. And so there were five doctors present, and, you know, across different uh, disciplines. And so one was a cardiovascular doctor. I, I know her because she has this wonderful set of clinics um, here in, in San Antonio. She really works with the underserved. And so uh, she was, I, I was talking about kidney disease and yeah. what I see as the true bottleneck and, and uh, it's not a bottleneck, it's what is causing the explosion of kidney disease that we see. Mm. And that is uh, the detection of the disease that goes until stage three <laughs> with the lack of informing patients. Um, because it, in stages one, two, and three is when this SGLT2Is work the best. Okay, so the therapeutic that we have that is very simple to take, mm-hmm. in, in many cases, uh, it works best during that time where people are being observed and not informed. Right. That is a major problem, a major problem. So I'm, I, I'm, I mentioned that that's what the problem is, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And in, in what what our organization has uncovered and, and studied, and this doctor says, Tiffany, I want to say two things. <laughs> she goes, uh, the same doctors. She works on the south side of San Antonio. Uh-huh. The north side of San Antonio is the side of San Antonio with that is considered to be wealthy. She said the same doctors that that serve the north side of San Antonio, serve the south side of San Antonio. We don't have to admit doctors, same one serve north and south. Um, there was a hospital in the south side of San Antonio and they were serving at that hospital as well. She knew, you know, they're doing rounds here, they're doing rounds here. She said the quality of care that they gave on the south side was reprehensible. Wow. She said, I, she said, wow. everybody that's been there knows that what I'm saying is true. She mm-hmm. said, but I can prove that what you're saying is true mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. over and over again in my practice, I get patients in and I'm looking at their, because I get their entire medical record. You don't get right. that. She goes, I get their entire medical record and I'm looking at their medical record. And I'm seeing that for years they have been in kidney disease. And I'm the first person telling them that they have it. She said that happens over and over again. She said, and and, and I could scream because our first order of business is to do no harm. 
Absolutely. See, but here's the deal, right? We're going we're gonna to wrap this segment up is that that for various reasons, physicians don't inform us of what the numbers are, right? Some don't want us to feel bad. Some don't want us to cause us undue anxiety. All the reasons. I mean, there's a long list of them, depending on when you go and you read the literature, right? And so that's the part where we we come in, right? Tiff and I and, and, and the different people who serve on the board of the Kidney Foundation, we, we believe that then if the, if, if the medical profession isn't going to actively try to educate us in a very coordinated fashion, that's something that we have to do for ourselves right. as patients right. is to educate ourselves about mm-hmm. what the numbers mean and, and mm-hmm. to monitor our kidney health and that we know what those numbers are and mean, just like we will with our blood pressure, our blood sugar, and any other number of things that we're involved with. So the you have- is that the patient has the right to know. Absolutely. You have the right to know about yourself and your numbers. Because no one is coming to save us, and we're going to catch what you're about to say, uh, Dr. Davis, in the third in the third section uh, of this interview. So you've been listening to On the Record with Kevin and Tiffany on 930 AM, The Answer. Check us out at On the Record with Tiffany on YouTube. And all you have to do is look up On the Record with Tiffany, and you will get to listen to us talk about freedom, opportunity, growth, and progress. If you like what we're talking about, or if you don't, check us out on YouTube, On the Record with Tiffany, and listen to what we have to say. Because we can guarantee you we're going to spark some debate at your house just like at ours. And we're back on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, home of conservative talk radio with the Kevin on the record with the Tiffany and Kevin show. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right, Dr. Davis, I cut you off in the last segment. What were you going to share with us? I was was just going to say what what needs to happen is people need to be informed about the specific test that they should be requesting. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, knowing that it's a urine test, it's a blood test and making that part of their annual physical. Right. You know, when you go in. But 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 that's a whole nother conversation. How often are people going in for these annual examinations? Right. And so I think there's a lot of education that needs to happen. A lot of. a lot of not coaching, but I, I just think we just need to to really make sure that people understand the importance of this. We are at high risk for this. It is happening disproportionately in our communities. Because of that, we need to monitor. We need to test. Here are the tests. And the messages can be as simple as that. Here are the tests that need to, you know, that you should be asking for when you see your physician, because it, it, it it's something that is easy to monitor when you make when you make the test. It's when when you make the request, not the test. Sorry, when you make the request to your physicians. Like even I started a new I started a new medication recently, and my doctor says to me, "Okay, you know, well, because this medication is what it is, we now need to start monitoring your kidney function." Mm-hmm. And yeah. so when I get my blood work, that's now part of the cycle to make sure that mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. not having an adverse impact on my on my kidneys, but. Also, like I can request that myself. It didn't have to. I didn't have to wait for my doctor to to prescribe mm-hmm. me with something that re- that could have an impact on my kidneys for me to start having those those things. Knowing that I personally, and I didn't share this, but I personally have a family history of kidney disease. You know, as well. You mm-hmm. know, um, my mother. Uh, two of my aunts and my grandfather all had kidney all had kidney disease. My mom is the um, is the only one who's still who's still living, but it's it's been a part of my part of my life since I was a kid. Yeah. And I think in some ways has inspired the work that I do. When people say, you know, what keeps you what keeps you going? It's like you know, my aunt was scary to me. I remember being a little kid and I was scared of her. I was so scared of her. And I didn't understand until maybe my teens why I was so scared of her. You know, we we um, we lived in, in one community and then had a fire at our home. And my aunt graciously opened up her home to us. And so we moved to live with them. And I remember at night she would go into the room and the door was closed and I could hear buzzes and things going on and off. And I didn't know what it was, but I was a germy kid and I was not allowed in the room. When she went in and closed that door, I couldn't go in. But all I know is I could I'd listen at the door and it was like scary. Like, what's going on in there? Why can't I go in? She was doing home dialysis. 
And when I was eight years old, I learned, well, when I was eight years old, she got a transplant. And I remember it was a couple days before my birthday. And so we would celebrate after that point, we would celebrate together her second birthday and my birthday because it was it, we actually became closer because now there wasn't that literal barrier, that door that mm -hmm. kept us apart. At a certain time of night, she had to get on the machine so she would be prepared for the next day. And that's what they say. Oh, you know, Dee Dee's getting on the machine. She's got to get on the machine. And I remember being scared of her, literally scared of her. But that transplant transformed our relationship. She taught me how to drive when my mom didn't have the, the patience to, to let me drive. When my mom would say no to letting me use the car, my aunt would let me use her car. It was like our relationship really <laughs> transformed as a result of that transplant. And I think, you know, when we think about the benefits of, of transplant, right, dialysis, you, you, um, there are, there are certain types of dialysis where you, you can be more mobile and have more, more mm -hmm. freedom in, in, in terms of your schedule. But, you know, if there are other types where you, if you're going to a center, you have three or four hours where you're in a center mm -hmm. every other day. And so there's a lot that changes in your life in terms of things that you can and can't do, um, or I want to say we say can or can't do that <laughs> more challenging, bless you, um, mm -hmm. that become more challenging for you to do um, when you have, when you do have to, to do dialysis. So um, personally, I can speak to the benefit of transplant. It just, it transformed our relationship. Talk to, talk to us a little bit about one of the reasons we brought you on was, was the I, new series. Oh, go ahead, Tiffany. I'm sorry. Can I, can I ask also, like, when I hear that, I, I also hear how sickness was affecting your relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I, I think that we don't, you know, we, we talked about this earlier with, um, with Reginald, but the sickness and how you are with when you're on dialysis, how mm -hmm. tired people are. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just they're different. If you're a different person mm -hmm. as opposed to after a transplant. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know? it, it was it was like night and day, you know, the difference. Um, you know, I, I genuinely was scared of her. And I never knew why it was until I was in my, my early teens that I really started to understand, you know, what was going on and what caused me to be fearful. You know, I was a kid and things are going off and I'm hearing bells and whistles and she can't come out and I can't go in. And I'm like, but why? That's my Aunt Dee. Like, mm -hmm. like, you know, why is there, yeah, why is there this barrier, you know, that, that I can't get through? And I'm like, ah, you know, as a kid wanting what I want, you know, I'm also a tourist. So, you know, that's... <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, there's that part. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about the the, the new series you have. It's uh, explain to us what it is on the uh, linked by love series. Sure, sure. I'm happy. I'm happy to share about this. So, um, I was privileged to be part of the research arm. I'll call it that. The research team that helped to develop the linked by love series. And linked by love is a six part or six episode series that follows a family, an African-American family, from uh, the diagnosis of the mother with kidney disease through to receipt of a transplant through paired kidney donation. This was such a cool project that I got to work on. One, we got to partner with the Mendez National Institute of Transplantation Foundation on this, but also because of grant funding, we were able to have this series produced um, in 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 its fullness. And so this has been fully recorded. These episodes are available on linkbylovetv.org. Um, so you can watch them. They're available to the public. But um, my role in, in this project, um, I kind of came in uh, maybe at the at stage two of the project. So stage one involved talking to many different stakeholders, so physicians and people from the African-American community to find out their experiences with kidney disease and transplantation and to find out about the myths and misconceptions, the barriers and facilitators to um, getting a transplant. And that information, those focus groups and interviews help to inform the script development. And so the script in its original form was developed by, by the time I came on board. When I came on board, I wanted to, or not I wanted to, but I was tasked with um, involving patients in the process and getting their feedback on the scripts. You know, patients who had diabetes, hypertension, kidney disease, or who had had transplant or donated a kidney to find out their perspectives. You know, was it engaging? Did it make sense? 
was it realistic even? Um, and, and did they learn anything about kidney disease or kidney transplantation during the process? And so that those focus groups that, that I did with patients here in Houston um, was used, those were used to um, help revise the scripts once those uh, scripts were revised, we sent them back to the writers and producers. They made the edits. We got feedback from physicians and, and everything just to make sure that it was authentic because, you know, we wanted to know or, you know, the producers wanted to know and the writers wanted to know, like, hey, when you walk into a room, what should the doctor have on? What if the patient is, is undergoing dialysis, what types of equipment should there be in the room? Should the doctor have a white coat and a stethoscope and all these things? Should they have a tablet or a notebook or how are they taking notes? What is this exchange? What types of questions should they be asking? What does the exam look like? Because these were real Hollywood actors and actresses who were who were um who were actually filmed to make the make the storyline or to make the to make the series, and so we wanted to make sure that it was as authentic as possible. And so, you know, after that process, the series was uh, was created, and we have at this point done three premieres: the main the main premiere out in L.A. at the Writers Guild of America. Um, and then we did two premieres here in Houston. We did one that was internal to Houston Methodist Hospital where I work, and then also one that was um, hosted for the public at the Health Museum here in Houston as well. And so um, the goal is really to get information out about this series because it's a it's a what they refer to as edutainment and the the edutainment strategy for you know in terms of education really involves uh, providing educational content in an entertaining way. This can be a PSA. In this in this particular case, it's actually um, a series set up something like you would see for Hulu or Netflix. I've actually had people come up to me afterwards and say, "Hey, when is this going to be on Hulu or Netflix?" And I mean, that's not a, that's not a decision for me to make. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not at the top of this. I'm I'm just one of the one of the research uh, professionals for this project. But I mean, having something like this because it is presented in an entertaining way, if it could get out in mainstream and really impact um, people, I think it would be phenomenal. But the themes that were talked about in the series, you know, were really informed by the by the stakeholders who, you know, have have real experience in this, you know, so they talked about, you know, um, that that even that privacy that we, we talk about here and that we've been talking about, you know, that that pride, that that was a theme that came up in the series. They talked about the importance of nutrition and, and, and diet and exercise and and those different things that can impact um, the progression of kidney disease. Mm -hmm. uh, so the very first few episodes or the first two episodes are really about the prevention piece with regard to kidney disease. And then um, we see the character have to make a decision about um, her treatment for kidney disease. And she decides that, or rather she and her husband decide that um, they're gonna do living donor transplant, but you know, through paired donation. And so I won't tell you anymore because I actually want you to go and watch the series, lingrylovetv.org. But um, it, it's, it was delightful to see it go from words on a page and knowing what the impact could be. Um, because this is real, we don't often see depictions of, of black health stories on the big screen. We don't, we don't see it often. Yeah. And so to, to really use research as the basis for developing this storyline, to make sure that it's authentic, to make sure that, you know, we got voices from the community um, to, to help make this real, um, I think I think it really makes it it really makes it hit home. And and my hope is that people will watch this. They'll learn more. They'll start to ask, ask questions. And from those questions, they'll start to, you know, do some of that preventive um, that prevention work and, you know, get tested if they don't know their numbers. Find out, you know, what their risks are for developing mm -hmm. kidney disease if they yeah. do have things such as hypertension and diabetes. But, you know, start to have conversations in families. The series is really developed around a family story. And so I hope that this starts to spark conversations in communities within families so that we get past that proud, private, black folk yeah. kind of schema that, yeah. that we're seeing. Yeah, I agree with that. Tiffany, I've seen it. I've seen the first three. And to be, on yeah, to be honest with you, Dr. Davis, I was a little, I was like, is it going to be bad? I want to sit here and watch this. But when I got, once you start with it, it is actually really good. 
I would I would like to know because uh, I'd love for us to host. Uh, I would love for now. This is my Texas Kidney Foundation hat on. I <laughs> say <laughs> so you put it on. Yep. <laughs> I would love for Texas Kidney Foundation to host the premiere because I think we can lovely come to it. Mm-hmm. People who need to see it yeah. come to it. Uh, mm-hmm. So that needs to be our our next goal because we have some museums and stuff that we work with. Uh, that that I think we we should be able to to host our own premiere. Yeah, and it's good bring, bring people to it. Yeah, it's it's six series, right? Because I, I think I'm fifty percent away. Six episodes, right? Mm-hmm. Not series, six episodes. You know, you've yes. got there are two different programs here because there's Linked by Love, and then there's another one, Fixing Paco. Fixing yes. Paco. So and, Fixing Paco is is similar to similar but different to Link by to Link by Love or then Link by Love. Fixing Paco was actually the precursor that inspired the development of Link by Love. And so Fixing Paco follows a Hispanic family as they oh. journey through uh, kidney disease and then its treatment uh, through living donor transplant. So similar but different. Um, and it's and it's a, a beautifully done program as well. I believe there are nine there. It's, Fixing Paco is a little longer. I think there are nine episodes for Fixing Paco, but each of the series have PSAs and educational content associated with them. The Link by Love series has a docu-series where some of the actors and some of the research team... <clears throat> some of the research team um, actually <laughs> make some cameos uh, and talk about their experiences with with Link by Love um, and with the development of Link by Love. And so, you know, but both of the series are, are really awesome and, and really designed for communities that are most in need, communities that are are suffering disproportionately um, with with kidney disease. And so um, I know that I, I I know that Fixing Paco didn't have the same type of premiere as Link by Love t- did here in in the in Texas and in the Houston area specifically, but um, the series is still out there and still available. And so, for for communities who are in, who are interested, it would be great for, to have yeah, them. We'll put the we'll put the links in the show notes. Let's well. have a discussion on on premieres because a premiere is just a matter of us putting together a premiere, All right? right. <laughs> Basically. All right. That was an, I really love that. We'll put the show notes to both uh, Fixing Paco and Linked uh, by Love in the in the uh, in the show notes below. And you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany and Kevin on 930 a.m. The Answer, home of and conservative talk so radio. Our guest, Dr. Lashara Davis, for for coming and just being so vulnerable and real and and uh, informative to our audience. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity to share. You've been enjoying On the Record with Tiffany. We encourage you to share these stories with friends and family. You can listen to other shows by going to 930amtheanswer.com. And join us next week for On the Record with Tiffany on 930am The Answer. We are doing a special campaign at Texas Kidney Foundation to get your kidneys checked. It is called Silent but deadly because kidney disease is a silent but deadly killer. And we need you to go to our website, silentbutdeadly.org, take a 12-question test, and we will send you a kit to your house. Get your kidneys checked at silentbutdeadly.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.